Our salvation isn't achieved, it's received. They were asking Jesus, what do we do? What does God want us to do? And he gave him a simple answer. He said, this is the work of God, to believe in the one whom he sent. That means to receive the one whom he sent. It means to receive the reality of what Jesus did for you. Would anyone here pay a million dollars for a house that's worth only half a million dollars? Guessing the answer would be no, because it would be ridiculous to pay a million bucks for something worth only half that. But Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Because you're worth that. You're that valuable to the Father that he sent his only son to die in your place. So faith is just receiving that reality of what he's done in your spirit. That you were born again. That spiritually as you stand in the presence of God, you are holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach in his sight. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you did. So just open your heart right now and give him thanks. Between you and him, just thank him for the gift of salvation for the gift of adoption, for the gift of healing, for the gift of redemption. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We love you. We adore you. And we thank you that you take us further into that truth tonight, that you make it more of a reality in each one of us tonight that we're able to better grasp what you've done for us tonight as Pastor Tony brings the word. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, every one of us is changed tonight. We give you glory for everything you're going to do here tonight, Lord, for everything you've done, for everything you're doing, and for everything you're going to do. We give you glory. We love you. We love you. We love you. And if you agree, say amen. 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 Sometimes as I'm praying, I forget where we are. So... All right. Good to see you all tonight. Who enjoyed the sunshine? Beautiful. 
It's good to be together, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Just the usual announcements, I'll go through them for the benefit of those who are joining us maybe for the first or the second time. So thank you for being so patient. You, you sit through these announcements every time. I haven't heard anyone say, oh, no, not again. Or no one yawns as I do the announcements, so that's good. But um, if you are here, if you're new here, I'll just, uh, this is for your information. There is a kids program for kids aged four and up in the next room, and you can access it through the door just outside. The bathrooms are out this side if you go out either one of these doors. And there is another service on downstairs as we're leaving, so um, let's just keep the volume down as we as we exit the room and head downstairs. But just going back to the kids' room, if you do want to visit your kids, please use the outside door. Avoid using this one because it just disturbs them and us. And uh, we are on Wednesday night um, downstairs in, in the bigger room as well, so you're welcome to join us then. But um, yeah, I think that's all from me. Who's excited to hear from Pastor Tony tonight? Yeah, uh, I, I love it. Pastor Tony always brings a word to sharpen, to encourage, and to move us forward. And so just prepare your heart tonight to receive. And I want to encourage us to never grow familiar with our pastors, whether it's Pastor Tony or Pastor Rabs. Um, you know, we have the privilege of hearing from them every week. And sometimes when you hear from people, often you can grow familiar with them and start thinking, oh, I've heard this before or, you know, but God's really blessed us with amazing pastors and amazing teachers. So why don't we honour Pastor Tony as he comes to bring the word tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice words. Good afternoon. Everyone doing good? Praise God. Praise God. Um. Tonight's message, um, I want to touch on some things. Um, I'm going to try and take it slow. Slow and Tony don't go together. Quiet and Tony don't go together. But we're going to try and take it slow. I think it's very important. The last couple of weeks, we've been sharing a, a series on the Great Exchange. Um, and I hope that's blessed you because it's blessed me searching it out and you know, you can preach something every week and every day and every year, but then they, like uh, Pastor Dorian said, it can become familiar. And the, the greatest sin we can get into is familiarity or empathy. Yeah, I've heard this, been there, done that. Even to us who read and study and talk and preach, and we can become like robots. But we've got to understand that the fire of the Holy Spirit is igniting every day in our spirit. The Word of God is the fuel to the fire. And we need to understand that we never take it for granted. That's why the Bible says, when you break bread, remember the Lord's death till he returns. Well, in order to remember something, then you can forget it. Or you can put it aside and make it common. So let's not make things common. Let's not take for granted what Christ did on the cross, amen? He has won the victory for us. And we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight. And there's a scripture uh, in Luke, sorry, in um, the lukewarm church in Revelations. Because I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And this beautiful, nice Jesus says, I'll spit you out. <laughs> okay, people like the nice things about Jesus and his love, your neighbor and that. But if you hurt one of these little ones, better to tie a millstone around your neck and throw you in the river. Better than to hurt one of these little ones. 
Jesus ain't mucking around. And never are we. Because we have, if you're, you call Jesus Lord and you've been saved by him, washed by his blood, we're in a different dimension now. We're in a different realm. We're in, a, we're in the kingdom of God where he's Lord. Amen? Awesome. I want to read this passage of uh, scripture and then we'll pray and then um, we'll get into this. So, guys, if you don't mind, we'll jump a bit. We'll just go to uh, Romans chapter 6. In verse 15 to 23. And then we'll, we'll get into it. I mean, the title of the message today is A Slave to Righteousness. And when I was searching this out, it really hit me to say, a slave is not a very good thing in our mind. And when, when, if I was to say a slave, we'd have a lot of ideas about a slave. And predominantly it will be, it's a bad thing people in captivity, it's people bound, it's people whipped, it's people chained and slavery is not a good thing at all. So don't leave here saying that Tony reckons slavery is good because people are known to twist things. Remember someone sending a video of me, I mean it happened to rabbits a thousand times, but a video of me of audio of a preaching and they cut like three minutes of an hour preaching. And sent it round, and they had a conference about it, and <laughs> dissected me and chopped me up in thirty-seven pieces. And one of my cousins rang me and said, "You know what's going on here?" I said, "No, I'm not on that Facebook or whatever." And then he sent it to me, and I couldn't stop laughing. I said, "There's an hour and an hour and twenty minutes of that, and they took three minutes." So I sent him the whole whole thing. Anyway, we can take things out of its setting. And we can take things out of it. It's a, it's a problem that we have because we're trying to catch each other out instead of loving one another. Instead of saying, well, I don't agree with that. So tonight we're going to talk about slavery because the Bible says we're a slave to righteousness. Again, what is a slave? What's the, what's the interpretation of a slave? And we'll touch on that. Amen? So let's go. We'll read it from here. So Paul's addressing, last week we touched on Romans quite a lot, but Paul's addressing about we're no longer under law, we're under grace. And then he answers the question that they're going to about to ask him or they'll be debating. And he says, so if there's no law now, does that mean we can sin? He says, certainly not. Next verse. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that the one slaves who you obey, whether you sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Whatever you are submitted to, you're a slave to. So whatever's your master, you become the slave. And we can discuss that in many different aspects of our life. Here it's saying that if you're a, go back, if you, if you're a slave to sin, it leads to nothing but death. But if your obedience leading to righteousness, if I'm a slave to righteousness, it leads to life. Go to the next verse. But God be thanked that Though you were slaves to sin, past tense, you were slaves to sin. Last week, what did we talk about? That body of death is, is, is done away with. Jesus killed that body of death, that nature of sin. Not the sins that we committed. He paid for that sin nature that we inherited. And by that, we had committed sin. So he paid for that, that we could be free. Amen? And gave us a new nature. But thanks to God, basically, he's saying that you were a slave to sin, yet you obeyed from your heart, that form of doctrine or teaching that which you were delivered from. 
And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of, uh, in uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. In other words, there was no righteousness in you because you were a slave to it. And God didn't expect anything good coming out of you because what sinners do is sin. True? The nature of sin is inside me. I do some good things, I do some bad things, tree of knowledge and good and evil. True? So you were free from any righteousness. You were never right with God. But, next verse. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the end of these is death. But now having been set free from sin and becoming slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end everlasting life. So a lot of words here about slave, slave and slave. See, in 1800s, 1807, in the early 1700s, 1800s, there was a man by the name of William Wilberforce. Anyone heard of him? William Wilberforce was a, a philanthropist, philanthropist, a guy with a lot of money that gave it out. He was a politician. He got involved in politics. And he petitioned the government in England to abolish slavery. And in those days, it was, a, it was a normal trade, buying and selling slaves. And the slave trade wasn't just in England, because if you go back, everybody had slaves in that time and place. We know that the Hebrews were slaves to Egypt back in the Old Testament. We know that um, they had slaves in Africa, and, and everywhere. everyone had slaves. It was a common trade. People weren't valuable, they were a commodity. Wilber, uh, William Wilberforce had a pastor. His pastor was a slave trader. And he got saved. And he said, you need to do this. And he, he, he was in his church and he became a politician. And finally, in the early 1800s, they, they, they abolished the, the trade of trading people. And the slave trade was abolished. England was the first, then America followed, and then the whole world followed. Wilburn, Wil, uh, William Wilberforce's pastor is the one that penned down the song that we sing, Amazing Grace. And he wrote those songs... What an amazing grace our God has. How sweet the sound that he saved a wretch like me. He was speaking about himself. How, how could I trade people and sell people and throw people off the boat and all this sort of stuff they used to do and God still shows his grace to me. Slavery is wrong. Slavery is of the devil. See, when God gave Adam dominion in the garden, he didn't give him domination. He said, I'll give you dominion. Dominion. When Adam lost dominion, the devil took over and became dominant. He started to dominate people. See, to have dominion is to lift up, to bring life. Domination is to put down and to destroy. Every dictator around the world, when they get power, they become dominant. They want to dominate everybody. Slavery is no different. Masters have slaves. They dominate them for personal gain. But we have been given dominion, amen? We have dominion. We are in a different kingdom. We don't dominate, we have dominion. And here, if you look at in, in, in Romans, it talks about slavery. So let's define slavery, can we? Well, one guy told me once that the Bible condones slavery. And he brought out all these verses. And it says, if you sell your daughter, or you sell your son, or you buy someone. So if you look at it and read it in its context, it looks bad. 
that they're buying and selling humans. But when we look at the scripture and let the scripture interpret scripture, we will know that God did not want that to happen. Slavery is not God. But let's look at the concept of a slave from a bad perspective and from a godly perspective. And you'll see the fruit of it in that. So we're going to break this down. In the New Testament, it talks about a bond servant or some translations put bond servant because they were too scared to put slave. But a lot of it is slave. But the Bible says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 6, it says, He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. So if anyone bought someone or kidnapped someone, because most slaveries were kidnapped and sold and they brought into a place and now they got no rights. But the Bible says if you do that, you get put to death. That is God condoning slavery. No, he's not. So what does it mean in, in, in further on? It says that if someone sells their daughter or sells their son or sells themselves to a master or a master buys them, we're going to talk about that. So you've got to remember, we live in Australia. We live in a lucky country. Half lucky. It's a little bit unlucky at the moment. But today, let's be honest. If you lose your job today and you can't find a job, you can walk down the street here in Maryland and knock on every shop door to try and get a job. Could you not? There's potential. Doesn't mean you're going to get one. You could ring someone and say, do you have a job for me? I'll cut your grass. I'll mow your lawn. I'll do something so you don't starve. If you can't do that, then the government has got assistance. There's churches that... There's always a provision so you do not starve. Did some work with the homeless and feeding the homeless. And I went out in Parramatta and I said, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mate, they're eating better than us. There's three or four nights a week. They know where every institution, whether it's Anglicare, whether it's Mission Australia, whether it's Hillsong, whether it's... Um, there's a lot of people doing a lot, a lot of stuff in Parramatta, just Parramatta. So they know where everything is. So they're eating. But in the times of the Old Testament, when famine hit the land, when pestilence hit the land, when disease hit the land, they were on their last legs. That's basically, what do we do now? It's like the widow that came to, Elijah came to the widow. He goes, what have you got? Make me something to eat. He goes, make you something to eat. I've got a bit of flour and a bit of oil. I'm going to eat, make it, make a cake, eat it and die with my son. There's no other option. And this is how bad it was. Remember when we went to Brazil, and Pastor Celia took us out on the river and we went out to, a, he goes, I'm taking you to an island. And when we got there, trust me, their definition of an island is not an island. Hawaii is an island. Bali is an island. That was a swamp. And we stayed there one night and behind us in the bushes, jaguars. And in the night, there's crocodiles. And I'm thinking, if we die here, no one will ever find us. We're in the middle of nowhere on this mud river. But we stayed with a family, God bless them, and it was a, we stayed in their house. Again, that, the word of a house is it's loosely defined to a hut with chicken coop, where, you know, poor of the poor can be. Now, I remember it was a, they had a daughter and a son, daughter and a son, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And, but when we found out later that the son wasn't their son, he was a 17-year-old, and we found out that he wasn't their son. He was given to them by a family who was so poor they couldn't look after him. They took him in, I think he was 12 Along them, remember? And they took him in. He was about 17 at the time. And they took him in. And I said, if they were poor, what are you? Because they were poor. And yet they took him in, someone who was poorer. So we don't understand that type of poverty in Australia. But you've got to look at the Old Testament times. Poverty was like basically 
we either do something or we die. Another story about the Shumanite woman. Elisha went to her and she had two sons. Her husband had passed away. There was a famine. She said, what am I supposed to do, man of God? Because the creditors are on their way. And what happens in those days, if your husband dies and you have a debt to someone, guess what? The debt doesn't die with him. The family take on the debt. It gets passed down. So now she can't work. Her sons are young. And there's a famine in the land. What happens? He says, the creditors are coming. And then he asked her, what do you have in your house? He says, I just got jars of oil. Basically, she sold all her furniture, whatever she had. They're going to die. This is the type of famine we're talking about. The creditors are on their way, meaning I'm going to have to sell my sons or myself. Or if it was a credit, if the creditors owed money on their land, they just take the land and they would work the land. And that's what it means when they buy and sell. They weren't, they weren't stealing people and kidnapping people as slaves. They were saying, oh, I'm wretched now. I've got a debt to pay. I've got to feed my kids. And you know what? It's better me to give my son to a master who's got money to look after him. And that way the debt gets paid and my kids don't die of starvation. That's the desperation. Are you with me? That was very common in the Old Testament. But it was, there was guidelines to this. Because if someone had did that, did that, let's say I couldn't pay a debt. I'd either go and sell myself to him or sell my son to him and all my family or whatever it was and work for him. But the, the law was that God made provision that I would only have to do it for six years. So it was like a contract. All right, I'll, you'd pay my debt for me. I'll come and work for you for six years. And in that six-year period, on the seventh year, I would get released. There wasn't a lifetime commitment. Are you getting it? So when we read that in the Bible, I know it's, when you read it, in the, read it blatantly, it seems like they're buying and selling people and God's allowing it. No, no, no. God made provision so people wouldn't take advantage of the poor. Because people, when they're desperate, they do desperate things, amen? And that was a provision. But sometimes, let's say I had a young daughter and I'd give it to the master to raise and feed and, and basically give her to, for ownership. And she grows up and now she marries the master's son and this, there's provisions for that. And the law says that if she marries your son, guess what? You treat her like a daughter and she has the inheritance of a daughter. Or if, if my son was to go and be sold to slavery or give himself to slavery and he gets married along the way, guess what? He looks after the family. So it wasn't a, a slavery like Egypt. Are you with me? It wasn't that they had no rights. They were committed. They were like bond servants. Yeah, but they, they would give themselves and the laws were there to protect people so they didn't get a bit greedy. There's a provision there that if they escaped, they didn't want to do this anymore and ran away to another master or another estate or another rich man. They said, look, look after them. Don't send them back. So it wasn't the type of slavery that, as you're thinking. So have we got that? Are we clear on that? Because the New Testament talks about, um, well, Timothy talks about it in this way. He says, he puts slave traders in the category in the same punishment as killing your parents, adulterers, perjurers, and per perverts. So God does not condone slavery. Are we with me? All right. But let's look at the context of a slave. If it's a, a slave in Egypt, what happened to them? They were kidnapped, they were bound, and now they had hard labor forever. Them and their children. True? Israel was in slavery for 430 years. No rights. Just eat, work, eat, work. If the production wasn't up to the level, they'd get beaten. 
absolutely no rights. It's bondage. The Bible says, don't become bondage slave to fear again, but become free in Christ. You're a slave into Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be a slave? Now, we're talking about slaves that have been kidnapped and beaten to death. And we're talking about ones who can't afford a debt and they give them themselves over to the master or to someone who's got a big estate to look after them. And it has to be for six years. And the beauty about it, after that six years, on the seventh year, seven, what speaks of what? Speaks of Jesus, speaks of completion, perfection. They would give them cows, goats, sheep, and send them on their way to set them up for their life. Are you with me? There's a lot of prophetic spirit, spiritual meaning in just in that. And it's interesting when I read it, and I, read, I don't want to read the whole lot, but it's interesting when you look at it from that perspective that what is a slave? So if I was to take away, forget the bad, but a slave has no rights. But isn't Jesus asking us to give up our rights? I know the modern gospel doesn't say that. The modern gospel says invite Jesus into your heart and ask him whatever you want. He'll give you all your desires of your heart and you can fulfill the dreams of your heart and you can live a beautiful life and that. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says, die to yourself that I may live in you. That when I give you the desires of your heart, it'll be my desires in your heart, not your desires. Are you with me? The modern gospel is about comfort and order, but the, the gospel that was about giving your life unto death. So a person that gives his life to Jesus is like a slave with no rights. But I wrote a few notes down. I thought, how's this going to go down on a Sunday before dinner? I wrote these few points down. When I give up, look at this. If you're taking notes, nobody. All right. When we give up our right as a child of God, when I come, and I know we are the children of God and he's our father, I know all that, but let me, let me just explain something to you. We're about to enter a war. And being a son doesn't protect you from the enemy if you're going to war, does it? It just gives you the ability to have the armor, the provision to fight the war. Unfortunately, we haven't taught our, especially our kids how to fight. We've taught them to be blessed. We've taught them to be, but we haven't taught them how to fight. And God wants us to submit all our rights. Because I wrote down here, if I surrender my rights, see my right, I've got rights, you know. I've got, you know. It's a, no, you haven't. Because you know what my rights is? Is about me. But if I give up my right, guess what? I get his rights. So if I give up my legal right, I expect this, I demand that, it's not fair, I've got rights, you know. But hang on, my rights only has to do with me. If I surrender my right as a slave to God, guess what? He gives me his legal right, which is the whole kingdom. Are you with me? See, the more I hold on to something, the more I hold on to it, I can only get it to a certain extent. I can only do something with it according to my ability. But if I let go of it and give it to Jesus, guess what? He empowers it and gives it back to me and I can operate in his kingdom. See, Tony can't heal a person. Tony can't deliver a person. Rabs can't deliver a person. No one. But through Christ Jesus our Lord, we can do all things through Christ. See, while we got our hands on the steering wheel and we're directing traffic and we're driving, you've got control, but then you've got legal. And you have that right. God gives you that right because you've got free will. You see, when I become a slave to God, I'm not punished. What did we read here? If I'm a slave to sin or a slave to the devil or slave to a taskmaster, 
I have nothing but death and humility and poverty. But if I'm a slave to Jesus, come on somebody, he works through me. The kingdom of God is his, he's given it to me, and I operate in his dominion, not my dominion. That's why he's saying when I'm a slave to sin, I inherit the things of sin, which is what? Death. But if I am a slave to righteousness, you know what righteousness means? You should know it by now, off the top of your lips, come on. Right standing with God. Justification, just as if I have never sinned. When the blood washed you, guess what? You changed in an instant. And he wants us to hear here, it says he, surrender your members. When you surrendered your members to sin, what, what, what did he mean by that? Our mind, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our heart, our hands, our feet. That's the members he's talking about. See, if I surrender my legal right, I get his legal right. See, my legal right is about me. His legal right is about the kingdom. That's why he's given us power to overcome the devil, to, um, to step on snakes and scorpions, to drink deadly poison, and it won't harm us. Now, there's a church in America, it flips my mind. They get snakes and dance with them and say, God gave us dominion over snakes. And they think, we're weird. One bloke drank poison and he actually dropped dead. What a weirdo. has nothing to do with that. And like my wife doesn't like me saying, how can you be that dumb and still breathe? You know? How can you be that stupid? Because you can't heal stupidity. But see, we become stupid when the devil is in control. When I still got control. I've shared this analogy about a lifeguard. I don't think there's many lifeguards here. We're all walks here and no one can swim. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. But if you were to swim, it's funny when you, you go that, you get tanned up, you go to the pool, we all sit at the baby's pool. And little kids this big jump up and do black flips off the board. Anyway, that's it. But if you could swim and someone's drowning, the lifeguards taught that they swim out to get the guy who's drowning. And, but they won't touch him until he stops kicking and screaming. Because when you're fighting to stay alive and you're drowning and you're panicking, they let you go. Until you've just about exhausted yourself and you're just about dead and you just start to sink, then they come and get you. Because you know what? They don't want to get, they don't want to drown with you. And you grab them and pull them down and, and panicking. They wait for you to surrender. When you've lost your will, they get you and they bring you in. It saves your life. And here what God's saying to us to be slaves of God is to surrender all our rights, give our life to him, die to self. Everything that we like the scripture, but then that means you're a slave. But you're a slave unto God. And in that type, when you surrender that life to you, guess what? You be called sons and daughters. And you have the inheritance of the Father. And now you have dominion in the kingdom. So everything that's pertaining to life through Jesus Christ is yours. Everything. Everything. Everything is yours through the kingdom. Because you're a son. It's all by inheritance. Amen? Let's have a look at Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And then we'll go back to John chapter 33 to 36. Actually, can you go to John 15? Then we'll go back to that. Jesus is talking to his disciples. We'll go back to that one shortly. Now, most translations in your Bible, King James, would say this. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know 
what his master is doing. But I called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. In the, if you look at that in the Greek, the word servant is nice because no one wants to offend anyone. You go look at it in the NIV, it says servant. You go look at it in the Amplified Servant. If you go to the New American Standard, which is the literal translation of this, it says slave. He's saying here, no longer I call you slaves. Have you got it? No, that's the, that's the, American, it's the New American Standard Version. It doesn't matter, I've got it here. He says, no longer I call you a slave. For a slave does not know what the master is doing. But I call you friends. And I'll reveal what the master, talking about God the Father, he'll reveal it to you. We go, see what he's talking about here. No longer you're a slave unto the law. Slave unto sin. Because they were bound by sin. Whether they had Ten Commandments or not. No one could keep it. We, we addressed that last week. So what it is, no longer I call you slaves, but I call you friends. What's the Bible saying in Proverbs? Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says, no one, let, a friend lays down his life for his friends. You get the picture. Let's go back to Romans, uh, John 8. He's talking to the Pharisees here, and he says, you are, you, you guys are in bondage. And then the, the Pharisees go, what? They answered him saying, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be, you will make us free? Um, newsflash, Mr. Pharisee. What was Egypt? 430 years? I guess we haven't been. Look at the arrogance. We, are not, we haven't been in bondage to nobody. Thinking about physical bondage. What about um, Babylon in captivity? What about Nimrod? What about, we can go, Nebuchadnezzar. They're all in bondage for years for their rebellion. He wasn't talking about if, you, if you're in bondage to a person, they were in bondage to sin. Next verse. Jesus asked them, more surely I say unto you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He's speaking about spiritual death. He's speaking that you're bound by the sin and the sin nature. And all the laws you're trying to keep, which were holy, you perverted. So not only you can't keep the good law, you perverted the law and made it harder for everyone else to get into the kingdom. Remember he said, you have the keys to the kingdom. You don't get in there. You don't let anyone else in. They made it so much harder. And Christ was burdened in his heart when Jesus came and saw they perverted God's law. The law was holy. The law was a schoolmaster to teach you that you can't keep it. The law was to show you you're a sinner and you need a savior. The law was holy and beautiful, but they even made it even harder and perverted it. And you know what they did? They put a bondage on their people, a yoke they could not carry. You're in slavery. Most religions enslave people. They're not free. Most religions enslave people. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. No, you don't. He goes, I'm free in Jesus Christ. I do because I am free. I don't do to get free. I'm free because of the blood. Amen. So when I go back to three weeks of messages, was there another verse after that? I don't know if I told you. No? That's okay. Now that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Next verse. I speak, I have, I speak what I have seen with, with my father, and you do, you, you do not want, 
you have seen with and you do what you have seen with your father so i've seen what i'm doing i've seen from my father in heaven but you're doing what your father's doing who's their father they answered said to him abraham is our father jesus said to them if you were abraham's children you would do the works of abraham keep going but you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which i have heard from god abraham did not abraham did not do this next verse you do the deeds of your father they said to him now they've gone abraham is our father we're the seed of abraham you know abraham isaac and jacob and he's talking they're talking in natural terms he's saying you're bound to sin i've come to set you free from sin they go back to the natural ah oh, we're descendants my genealogy my grandfather was this my grandmother was that our country this our country that okay baloney look he says you're, you do the deeds of your father and they said to him now they've gone from abraham now they go you know i'm gonna lift the bar a little bit he says we are not born on fornication we have one father god now stop right there isn't it interesting that we're not born on fornication another translation we're not bastard children. You know what they were saying? We're not like you, Jesus. From a woman that claims to be a virgin. That's what they were saying. He said, we're not a bastard like you. We know where we come from. Look at the arrogance of these people. They went, we're, we're children of Abraham. My descendants. You don't know where I've come from. Armenians, first Christians. That's all I hear. My dad said to me all my life, you know how many times the Bible talk about the cedars? Okay, Dad, why don't you read the Bible? Anyway, we won't go there. He just tried ringing me too. He must be listening. Um, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but ye, he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Now look at the clincher. I think it's coming up. You are of your father? The devil. <laughs> that would have went down pretty good, eh? These religious leaders running the temple and everyone looked up to them and he says, but you know, you're of your father. You're exactly like your father, the devil. And he desires, and the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. In other words, he's saying there's no truth in him. In him is nothing but filth and lies. And that body of death was in us. Why? Adam sinned. And we became in the nature and in the likeness of not God anymore. We, kept our, we lost our image. We kept the likeness. We looked like God, but the inside was a corrupt nature. Because we were feeding off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're feeding off that place where he says here. Yes, but when Jesus came, guess what? He killed that body of death and he made us children of God. Amen. We no longer have to walk in that rubbish. Decision you got to make, not God. God's not going to do the work for you. You got to do the work. What are you attaching to? What are you a slave to? You, the devil, your old life, or you're a slave to righteousness? Amen. Are you willing to? Are you willing to res, to rescind your rights? When I in Australia, I got rights. Paul, when he got arrested and put in jail. And they found out he was a Roman citizen. They said, well, we can't do that. He's a Roman citizen. He's got rights. So they said, look, you can go now. He goes, no, call the magistrate. No, I've got rights, you know. So he knew his rights. He goes, call him. I'm not leaving. They were going to get in trouble because they, they in, the, in the Roman law, if you're a Roman citizen, there's a procedure before you go to jail. You've got to go to a magistrate. You've got rights. Paul knew his rights. He goes, call him. Well, in Australia, I've got rights. But my rights don't apply in Lebanon. Don't apply in Bali. Don't apply in 
Vietnam, they don't employ in America. But if I decide to go to another country and become a citizen to that country, I lose my rights in Australia, and guess what? I have new rights, legal rights in that country. I can't turn around and say, in America, you have to be 21 to smoke or drink or go into a club. Australia, you can be 18. I can't go, well, I'm 18, I want to go into a club. Sorry, you're not legal, of legal age. But in Australia, I am. He goes, it's not Australia. You apply the rules to that citizenship. Are you with me? Well, we don't no longer obey the rules of this world. We obey the rules of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. We don't listen to the government and all their, all their rubbish. We listen to Jesus. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. The church is not run by the government or by what the people. The church is run by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not from this world. Don't trust this world. Because if this world can give you peace, the same world can destroy you. But I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. Amen? It's interesting in... Let's have a look at this story in, in the Old Testament. Well, we'll go to Exodus chapter 21, verse 5. But before you go, I want to give you a backdrop. So, we've established that God hates slavery. The one in bondage. But when we refer to slavery of righteousness and the slavery to God, he's not talking about under bondage. He's talking about you're giving up your rights to God to become like God. True? When we talk about, when you read in Exodus, it talks about buying and selling people and it's not in that context. It's like someone who has a debt who can't pay. There's a famine in the land. So they sell themselves or they sell these services to a, another Hebrew so he can work for them for six years and they're released on the seventh. And by the way, guys, they only had to do it for six years. On the seventh year, they get released. But every 50 years, there's a year of jubilee, which means that if I lost my land, let's say I got land, I borrowed money of Dorian, and I borrowed, and I couldn't pay him back, he'd take the land back, okay? But then in the 50th year of the year of jubilee, guess what? All debts are off. Everyone who lost land, lost possession, would get their land back because it was a time of grace for everybody. 50 years, 50 speaks of grace. Are you with me? There's always a way out with Jesus, amen? God has a way out for grace and mercy, amen? And here it talks about different things. Now, this little story I'm going to read, it's about a man who gave himself to a master to work for him. But along the way, he got married and had kids. Now, under the law is that after his six years are over, on the seventh year, he can go free. But his family had to stay till they completed their six year. You get me? So now he's free to go or free to stay. It's up to him. Now, if he had a better opportunity somewhere else, he would go, leave his family there till they finish their term. He could go make more money, prepare a house or whatever. But in those days, he didn't have much opportunity. Now, this one tells us a story, and I want you to hear very closely here to this story. It really blessed me many years ago, and I searched it out. Here, a man is free. He's got a wife and a kid, so I'm not going to read the whole lot. And now he's free to go. And the, and the master says, you're free to go. Thank you so much for your blah, blah, blah on your way. And he says, no. Nah, I love my wife and kids. I don't want to go. I've got nowhere else to go. I want to stay. And this is what happens if he stays, yeah? Let's go. Verse 21, 5 and 6. But if a servant plainly says, I love my master, and I stop right there. Does that seem like someone who's under bondage? Does that look like someone who's under torture? He loves his master. He's been treated well. Yes, he had to give himself for six years, but what else did he have in those days? There's no opportunity, like I said. There's nothing like we got today. He says, I love my master. 
my wife and my children. If you read before and after, you get what it's trying to say here. He got married along the way, had kids, but they had to stay with the master. He goes, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, which is the leaders of the tribes. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an oar, and he shall serve him forever. He's saying now, master, I want to stay with you. I've got nowhere else to go. I love my wife. I love my kids. We want to stay with you. I'm willing to make that decision. He goes, is it voluntary? Yeah. They take him to the judges. They come to the, the judges, which is the people, the leaders of the tribe, the rulers of Israel. They said, this man wants to stay. I'm not making him stay. Do you want to stay? Yeah. Well, this is what they used to do. Are you ready for this? Who knows what an all is? A-W-L. All right. Neither do I. So I just thought maybe you could help me. I'm joking. I looked it up. Thank God. Now, but have you seen someone who works with leather and with material? They put holes in things with a big, it's like a piecing little spike. So this spike would go up to the doorpost. Pretend this is the doorpost. Now, if he wanted to stay and he was fair income, he was serious. I'm giving my life to you. They would piece his left ear to the door or to the doorpost. They'd put his earlobe and they would piece it through like you're piecing an ear for an earring and they'd piece him to the door. Then when, he, when that was done, they'd put a ring on him and that, that was a signal that he was voluntarily giving up his rights and living with the master for the rest of his life, him and his family. How much prophetic is that when Jesus came from heaven and saw his wife to church and the children is the offspring of the church and he pierced himself to a cross for a life. He said, I'm going to obey. I'm going to give up my, not my will, but your will be done. I give up my whole right, Father. You are my master. I'm going to pierce myself to a cross for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my children, and I will live for eternity with them forever. And I, you know, isn't that good? Forever. But then look at this. The Lord spoke to my heart. And this is requiring of you, Tony. I said, whoa, whoa, I don't like earrings, Lord. No, no. If I don't pierce my ear as a believer to Christ and surrender my rights and put my ear to the door or the doorpost, guess what? When he knocks, I won't hear him. When I put my ear into the doorpost and pierce it to him, I have to be crucified with him. I have to be. You know, in, 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 in Revelation, it says, I'll stand at the door and knock. And I know we use that for salvation, but it's got nothing to do with salvation. I use it all the time, but really, when he says, I stand at the door, behold, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears me, my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He's talking about the lukewarm church. He's talking about believers like you and me when we get a bit apathetic and, we don't, and we're no longer inclining our ears to the Spirit of God. Who does Jesus say he was? I'm the door. If I'm not got my ear posted to the door, how will I know when my master's coming? Maybe he's knocking on my door to tell me, listen, Tony, I want you to do this for me. Maybe he's knocking on the door, Tony, I want you to discipline you in this area. Tony, I want you to watch your kids. Tony, I want you to speak. Well, he comes to the door. He is the door. If I haven't got my ear inclined, I will not hear him. And what the Bible says, they gather up themselves teachers in Jude, and they want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. And I was, I'll get myself a teacher that agrees with me and I'll pretend I'm submitting to them. And no, 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 no. Listen to me. I was just talking to my brother George here about someone that this church loved God and everything, but they just don't believe in healing. I said, don't get out. He goes, why? Because basically what you're doing, you're feeding on something that's got no fruit. You must love Jesus, but if they don't believe in healing, go find someone who does. Get around people with faith to give you up to that higher level because we are the dominion in the kingdom, not the dominion of this world.
And when they pierced his ear into the earlobe of the door, it was a significant uh, 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 sign, meaning why? That's a hard thing to do. I'm going to give my life now forever to this master and my kids. So he pierced his ear. So it's a voluntary agreement. But guess what? That guy would live forever in the master's house as a son nearly. And he'd look after his kids. Now he's crucified on that doorpost. In a sense, they put his ear on the doorpost, but guess what? Jesus put his whole body and was pierced. How much more? You know what? People say, oh, submission. If I say the word, man, husband, submit to your wife. You said that word submission. Because we've abused that word submission. Submit to your husband. If I said the word gay here, what does it mean? Oh, see, you stole my thunder. Today, the word gay does not mean the original word. The word gay in the, in the English language means happy. You know, I've learned, you know the word terrific, when we say terrific? In the old days, that didn't mean something nice. That means something hor horrible, terror, terrible, terrific. But as, along the way, it changed meaning. I didn't know that. I had an old lady in my church tell me when she was growing up, the word terrific was terrible. I didn't know that. If, I, if, I, if, if some of you young people spoke to someone in the 1900s said, and walked up to a preacher in the 1900s and said, man, that was sick, man, you're mad. You heard that was a bad message. He'd say, first of all, I'm not sick. What does bro mean? What does it mean? I'm not mad. I'm not sick. But we've changed the word meaning. True? Well, the word slave is the same thing in the Bible. Slave, when it talks about bondage, it's true. It also talks about being in full Dependence on Jesus Christ himself. Don't get, the, don't get words mixed up. Because if I said to you, you need to surrender your life and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and die to yourself, what's that saying? I'm a slave to God. When I become a slave to him, guess what I get? Peace, joy, holiness, righteousness, and sonship. I give my life to him. Now I stand at the door. He goes, I'll stand at the door and knock. Can anyone let me in? You know what he says? I'm coming in to do what? Dine. What does dine mean? Eat, fellowship, communion, put the barbie on. Comes, I want to dine with you. You know what eating with someone means? Fellowship. Not going to give you a truck and go home. He wants to fellowship with us if we incline our ear to the door. We'll finish with this story. Does it make sense? When you, when you read slave now, it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. When you give up your rights, guess what? You end up with his rights. His rights are a lot greater than my rights. Amen? Story about a man who had a, a, rich, a rich man, he had an estate. And there was a man who was very similar. It was called, uh, they would call these people that worked, they wouldn't call them slaves, they would like bond servants or they called indentured service, which means they gave, their, they gave themselves over for a price. Um, you see this in football now. They say, oh, Parramatta just bought this player. Well, does that mean they bought a slave? No, they bought his services to play football for an X amount of dollars for five years. Happens all the time. Someone got a contract to go to Dubai as an engineer. They bought his services. You know, we bought this guy, come over. He gets paid X amount of dollars for five years to fulfill a contract. This man worked for this rich man. And he worked and served him, looked after the household, looked after his, his wife had died. He had a son. Unfortunately, his son died at a young age. So then him and the master. The master said, you can go, man. Look, he goes, no, where would I go, master? You look after me. I'll look after your estate. Don't worry. And he stayed and lived with him all his life. Finally, the rich man passed away. 
And so this man packed up his stuff and they were selling everything. He left the will. He had no heirs. So he sold everything. Put it on auction. They were going to sell it and give it out to wherever he had um, allocated it in his will. The day of the auction, the man that served him, served his family, packed his bag. He was heartbroken. He was about to leave, but they started the auction in the grounds of the estate. This man was a collector of antique furniture and, you know, and paintings. Very wealthy man. He was selling everything. The servant came and sat in the back corner, and the auctioneer is about to start. And he said, okay, guys, I know you're interested. People came from all around the world to buy these articles. These, you know, there was bars, and there was tables, and there was photos and paintings. Very wealthy. And he said, we're about to start, but uh, there's, a, there's a few things we need to discuss. First, first thing in the will, the, the, the man that owned the estate said he first wants to sell a photo of his son. And he opens the door, takes the sheet off, and there's a picture, a portrait of his son. He said, now this has to be sold first before we move on to anything else. So let's open the bid. Anyone wants to buy this photo? Dead silent. He says, well, we can't move on according to the instructions I have. This has to be sold first. So someone give me a dollar, just one dollar. We'll get it out of the way and then you guys can buy everything else. No one budged. They're all waiting for the big million dollar stuff. And while that servant was sitting there, he realized that I looked after that boy. I served that boy. He puts his hand up and says, I'll pay a dollar. They all looked around, they looked behind, they saw this man dressed, just common dress. He's come up here, sir. Comes up, he brings his dollar. He goes, sir, under the instructions I have, the owner of this estate said, whoever buys my son's photo gets everything. Because he who has the son has everything. He says, auction closed. And they all go, ah! Gets sold. And this man collected the whole estate. And the moral of the story is that man loved the son. He didn't love what the son owned or what the father owned or what he could have got out of it. He just loved the master and the son. He goes, you know what? I'll buy that photo for a dollar because I loved that boy. I looked after that boy. I just want him. I served him all my life. He goes, he goes, well, whoever buys this photo, it's everything. Hallelujah. Who has the son has life. Hallelujah. Can we stand? Hallelujah. Don't go looking for things from God. Don't go searching for things from God. Go to God for God. Go to Jesus for Jesus. And everything will be added unto you. The older I get in this, the more or less I want from him. I just want him. Because if I have him, is there any worries? Come on, listen to me. You've got a debt to be paid and you can't pay it. And Jesus comes along and says, Peter, go fish and get a coin out and pay our tax. Someone needs healing? Jesus, that God needs healing. Lay hands on him. If Jesus is with you 24-7, would you have a care in the world? Would you have a care in the world? Let's be honest. I shared this with Dorian. If we all pray, if someone dropped dead right now in this meeting and we all jumped on him and prayed for him, and you prayed for him, and you prayed for him, and you prayed for him, and everyone prayed for him, and we exhausted all the faith we had. There's no more faith we got in us. We prayed all we know. And he didn't get up. And we'd say, it's not God's will. But then there's a tap on the door. We open the door, Jesus walks in. Does anyone here have the guts to say Jesus can't raise him? Well, he lives in us. And he is all, all power and all might. To surrender to him. Give your life to him. And all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah. Incline your ear to the door and listen to the master. Because he's the one, that lover. He's the lover of your soul. He's the one that gave his life. That servant pierced his ear, but Christ pierced his body for you and me. Does it sound a little bit better to surrender yourself to God? Is he out to hurt you? 
he wants to give you the keys to the kingdom. But there's a way of doing it with total surrender. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We love you, Father. Thank you for your word. Your word is true. Thank you, Father, that we leave today. I pray that we're brokenhearted to the core that we just need to find you, Jesus. What is it that I haven't surrendered to you, Father? I want to die a little bit more, Lord, to have what you have, to be with you. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we are no longer slaves to fear or to sin. We are a slave to righteousness. And we have eternal life because of you. I thank you for your wonderful presence. I pray, Father, for your miracle powers. Lord, that you don't meet the needs of your people. I thank you, Father, for the wonderful gift of our sonship. He said, a slave does not abide in the house, but a son abides in the house. Not meaning just male, meaning identification that we are children of God. I thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is true. I lift up holy hands. I say, thank you, Father. Thank you that we can bow our hearts before you. Not my will done, but according to your will. And the life I live today is crucified to me and me to the world. Thank you, Father. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, today is the day of your salvation. Today you surrender your life to him. There's no other way to say it. Hell is waiting for us. But God took us out of the pit of hell and places in the kingdom of his son. Through the precious blood of Jesus. There's no way to salvation other than the cross of Calvary. I am the door and I am the way, the truth and the life. So I thank you, Father, for your wonderful grace and mercy. And Lord, we can just step into that place of surrender. So we can honestly say, well done, good and faithful servant. Pray a prayer, a blanket of protection over everyone in this room. They may know Jesus as Lord, deeper and deeper. Thank you, Father, for people that are carrying burdens, that you lift those burdens. People that are struggling, Father, that you would get them through. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And I pray this prayer in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a clap, man. You know, this message really resonated in my heart all week. And, you know, part of me died this week. I said, you know what? There's got to be more. It's not just come and preach and have a good time. and go. Have it's got to be more. The world's dying out there. It's not getting any better, is it? No government in the world. Nothing's going to change. But if we don't change, we can change the world. Jesus said, I, I have overcome the world. Amen. So I love you guys. Be blessed. Be safe. Look upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen.